Hey, everybody. It's Allie. And welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, September 22nd, 2013. I was actually really touched by the dramatic conclusion of Nick and Avery's wedding. Um, or non-wedding, actually, would be more appropriate. But I just thought it was such a, a cool scene, them standing there at Chancellor Park. She's just missed the wedding. Nick doesn't know what to make of it. And Avery is standing there in her bridal gown, fully ready for her wedding, looking so beautiful. I just wanted that scene to go on forever. It, it felt like classic daytime to me. It was this swell of romance that was quickly dashed by the reins of reality. And I really enjoyed it. And I, in the moment where they're coming face to face for the first time since she stood him up at the wedding, I really got a sense of where they both were coming from. I think that Avery really just wanted to help Dylan. She was focused on the task at hand. She knows that she loves Dylan. She knows that she cares about him. And he's going through this incredibly painful thing. And especially since they had lost a child together, she wanted to help him cope with this new loss of a child that he thought was his. So I think that Avery's heart was in the right place. But at the same time, from Nick's perspective, she missed his wedding. She missed the wedding, which, bottom line, means she put Dylan's needs before his, before Nick's. And so I, I understand why he would want to draw that line there. And I completely empathize with both sides of the situation, which I think is good storytelling. Of course, I'm such a sucker. It's not very hard to get me to empathize. <laughs> but I, I, I'm watching... Nick and Avery have this incredibly mature conversation for the first time, and Nick says to her, I, I really, I don't think that you lied to me. I think that you lied to yourself about your feelings for Dylan. And Nick also revealed that he had a feeling the reason she missed the wedding was because she was with Dylan. He said, I couldn't think of any other reason why you wouldn't be there if it weren't for him. And Avery pretty much admitted it in, in one way or the other. I mean, she broke down little by little, revealing that she thought that this wedding to Nick would make her feelings for Dylan go away. That if she just began this new life with Nick, then she would be able to put the old life behind her. And standing there, it just felt like they were both being really honest with each other and with themselves for the first time. Because Nick, from, you know, I think he knows that he never really had her after Dylan came back into the picture. And I really do feel bad for them both because their relationship was good before Dylan came along. It wasn't one of my favorite relationships. I thought that Nick and Avery were a cute couple, but it didn't have that epic sort of draw for me. But at the same time, they were happy together until 
Dylan came back in, and how can you compete with a ghost? And she, you know, he was the one that that Avery lost. She thought he was dead, and so she naturally had unresolved feelings there. And so um, Nick knew that 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 was always going to be there, even if it was subconscious. So it became a, a really painful, truthful moment between them and it got increasingly more dark as the rain started to come in it started to get dark and stormy with the weather and and likewise with their conversation because they have this moment where all of the truths out on the table and where do you go from here what's the next step and they're just looking in, e- in each other's eyes thinking that they were going to be married today that they were going to be saying i do and kissing and living happily ever after in um you know in in bliss or at least um you know in denial of feelings, other feelings that were there. And now they're standing here not together and facing the end of of their relationship. And Avery, I think the actress is really good. There is something about her that she tugs on my heartstrings. When she's hurt, she gets really sensitive and almost like this little girl thing going on. And I guess I identify with that because I'm such a little kitten heart (laughs) that I feel that way too when I get hurt and so she's just looking so sad like she doesn't want it to end but she knows that it can't go on and Nick and Avery just have this kiss goodbye and the rain starts to pour down on her as Nick just turns around and walks out of her life forever and she's just soaked standing there in this white wedding dress in the rain, which is a really bad place to be, a white dress in the rain. I'm watching the scene and I'm thinking, YNR, you might want to start shooting that scene from the neck up. What is a week in Genoa City without exploring the exploits of Sharon Newman. <laughs> it's just almost not a fun week in YNR right now unless Sharon is off her rocker. <laughs> she, but you know, it's like, it's just a weird mix of totally sane and then completely off of it. The line is so fine that it's enjoyable. I'm just along for the ride now. I don't care. She's she's entertaining to me. She waltzes into the athletic club and has a seat right next to Adam, who is brooding, drink having his glass of scotch, thinking about the son that he didn't know he had, the lies that Chelsea told to him. And Sharon kind of sits down and I don't know, I think she sort of reveled in sparring with Adam a little bit. They were going back and forth. It was a light sparring, but I think it was quite enjoyable. I really like their relationship now. I think they're in a good place, and it was just a brief scene, but I enjoyed it. I thought Adam and Sharon are not quite friends not quite enemies, somewhere in between. And it's a nice little place. Adam's telling her about his son. uh, So he did open up to her and reveal that much. Uh, And there's just this kind of Spanish guitar playing in the background. I don't know. I I love that scene. I enjoy um, uh, Sharon and Adam. I think that the actors have a really good chemistry. And so I like where they are right now. It was interesting. Now, Sharon goes home. 
and Noah is at the house waiting for her. He's found her untaken prescription pills, and she gets there, and he tr he doesn't confront her about the pills at first. He takes it lightly. He starts questioning her, trying to understand where her head is at, and Sharon is seeming a little too happy that Nick and Avery's marriage is not happening. And so Noah asks her, you know, what is it that she, you know, she feels? What is she, where's her head at with this? And Sharon says, you know, she is interested in a relationship with Nick. I mean, she kind of reveals, hey, why not your dad and me getting back together? And Noah sees this as a red flag. He was getting ready to go marry Avery an hour ago, and this this um, interest of Sharon's didn't just develop overnight. So Noah knows that Sharon's been pining over him, and he sees it as a, a red flag that she's you know not as stable as she is wanting everyone to believe she is. So he does find confront her about the prescription pills and says, well, look what I found. And Sharon plays it off. <laughs> of course, she's like, oh, you found those. I've been looking for them. I know that they were just in, in a drawer on the desk, but I've been looking for those. Oh, I got that prescription refilled, of course. And, and you know, I understand your concerns. I understand you're concerned about me. And, and I'll be sure to bring that up at my next therapy meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, she is, she thinks she can medicate herself. She thinks she can make everything better on her own because um, she's doing such a great job. Noah ends up leaving and, oh, Lord, Sharon lays down for a nap. <laughs> and she has this, um fantasy slash nightmare where she is in her house and she is in a wedding gown that looked more like a robe. I don't know. She was in a wedding, a white wedding robe and a veil. <laughs> I mean, she couldn't possibly have looked more crazy. They would have had to maybe tease her hair out or something to make her look more crazy. But um, she looked totally unstable, like she's ready for her wedding to Nick in her fantasy slash nightmare. She's getting ready to marry Nick. Noah is there with her and he is trying to tell her that it's, you know, never going to work out. He is the uh, little birdie telling her, you know, to, you know, come back to reality. And she is fully set on this wedding to Nick. And then, very interesting, I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this. Um, in this fantasy, Phyllis comes back. Um, they showed this shot of a Phyllis lookalike from the back, which really looked like her. I think, was she even wearing the dress that Phyllis wore the night of, uh, the, of, the, of the gala? I kind of think so. It was cut out in the back. They just showed a Phyllis lookalike from the back and Sharon seeing this Phyllis character and Noah telling her, oh yeah, Phyllis woke up from her coma. And Sharon, in this dream, realizes that if Phyllis wakes up, she's going to tell Nick everything, and her entire plan is going to be blown all to pieces. So this is Sharon's one fear. Other than that, everything is going splendidly for her. Now Nick and Avery are apart, and she can conveniently be there to pick up all the pieces. But the second that this 
lie of hers is exposed and all of the, these things that she's done, not only Phyllis, but I mean with the paternity results, as soon as all that comes out, she knows that it's all going to be gone, that Nick is never going to forgive her. So Sharon wakes up from her dream, goes about her life. <laughs> these, th these are just sort of what happens in the, the subconscious. This dream is her subconscious. Because in reality, she feels like everything is going wonderfully. She goes to the coffee house and she happens to run in to her therapist. And the therapist is actually happy to see her. Sharon. <laughs> Sharon, I have not seen you for an appointment, Sharon. <laughs> the therapist actually has been trying to contact her to set up an appointment. She'll set up an appointment anytime. Like, this therapist is actually genuinely concerned about her patient, and Sharon's blowing off the appointments. The doctor even went as far as to call and call the pharmacy and inquire as to whether or not her prescriptions are even being filled or filled. So the therapist knows that Sharon is totally off the therapy and tries to call her out on her bull. And Sharon is not having it. Sharon says she does not want to go back on the medication. She feels that she is alive for the first time. She can feel things. The medication evens her out and makes her not feel the highs or the lows, which is what it's supposed to do. But she wants to feel deeply. She wants to be a passionate person. And so she's choosing not to take the medication. But the therapist tells her and warns her, probably prophetically, that you're on a manic upswing right now. It's bound to come down. You're bound to go low again. This is what the disorder is. So... Sharon totally does not heed the advice whatsoever. I don't mind at this point. I love Sharon's crazy ass. I don't know when the flip, the switch flipped for me, but there is something just interesting about her right now. Um, she's the right level of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she even um, remarked, I can't remember, I think she was talking to Noah. She said, you know, I, I, I like where I am now. I'm fine right now. I'm not too high. I'm not too low. I'm just right. Adam is not wasting any more time. He has been apart from his son for too long. He has already called in a specialist to see Connor about the degenerative eye disorder. And in general, Adam's attitude right now is playing rough. He is done being the nice guy. The nice guy got him nowhere. And so he is being really aggressive. And even with the doctor, it's weird. He had two scenes with this doctor. And the doctor is saying, I mean, I can't really see a patient who you don't have custody of or anything. Can you even prove to me that you are this child's father? And Adam just gets really aggressive with them to the, you know, throwing around the Newman name even. And the doctor agrees to, to see the baby. I don't know when that's going to happen. But um, so Adam is, is busy working on helping his son and hoping that there is going to be some kind of uh, process to getting him better. Chelsea still has 
the child for now, but that's really all she has. She ha is waiting for Dylan to come home. He has left her at the end of last week's show, and she's been out on the town, um, you know, looking for him. She comes home and walks to the door, and he is sitting there, right in the living room slash kitchen area, and. She's thrilled that he's home, but there is obviously something changed in him. This Dylan looks like a different person, and you can see it in his eyes. Uh, there's this storm brewing in the background, and it, it really feels like the right mood for what's going on in Dylan's mind. Uh, he looks empty. He looks hollow. And Chelsea sees him. She's thrilled to see him. Uh, she says to him, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I need you. She begs Dylan to help her fight to protect Connor from Adam, even saying, you know, this is why I lied. This is the situation why I lied. Uh, Adam is threatening to take away the baby, and I need your help. And the look in Dylan's eye just, it says that he's already checked out, like he has already got his bags and he's rang the front desk like he's done and Chelsea is continuing to argue saying you know what can we do to make this work I want us to have this family Connor can still be your son which is totally absurd um uh, he can still be your son we can still make this work and Dylan just says to her you must be in really deep denial to even think that there's anything you can do to make this right and I was really happy with him saying that because it, it summed it up perfectly. It, it is that Chelsea's in deep, deep denial. And Dylan doesn't want to have anything more to do with it. In fact, he wants to leave town. He wants to move on. He feels like there's nothing left for him now. And furthermore, for Dylan, it's so much deeper, so much bigger than just Chelsea's lie. It's Dylan's whole identity. It's his whole reason for living. If he's not Connor's father, then what is the justification for his life? What is the justification for his survival in Afghanistan? He has felt guilty over the fact that he survived over his troop mates, over um, the child that he tried to protect. Um, and now, this, you know, the, the fact that he was going to be a father gave him validation for his life, and now that's all gone. And so he has this very somber moment where he asks Chelsea, um, amongst the rolling thunder, that he, if he can just have one moment to say goodbye to Connor. You know, there's no more arguing about our relationship. There's nothing more that you can do. I just want to say goodbye to this child that I thought was my son. Can you give me that? Don't you think you owe me that? And so she agrees. She kind of goes off into another room, leaves them alone. And Dylan has this really sweet moment with Connor where he he really still thinks of him as his son. He had really visualized the life that he was going to have of, you know, the kid climbing trees, of them working on projects together. He had this whole scene, um, a, a future scene in his head that's now not going to take place. And it was, it was really sad. Uh, Dylan realizes that 
Connor's not even going to remember his love. He's probably not even going to remember him, and he's correct. That is correct. And so it was really, really quite sad. He's saying this final goodbye in a moment of pure misery, and all of a sudden, this huge lightning bolt strikes, and it's this crack of thunder, and it's so loud, it sounds like a bomb. And all of a sudden, the lights just go out. Dylan has this flashback that we've seen many times of him and Sullivan and Sullivan's death. And we're flashed now back to reality. And he just looks at Connor and says, I'll protect you. Now, when the lights, you know, the lights dimmed, it was almost like something went out in Dylan's reality. And now we're in this alternate reality for Dylan, where he's actually suffering from PTSD and he is having a flashback. And Chelsea comes back into the room as the lights have gone out and she realizes Dylan and the baby are gone. Ah, I was, I could not believe it. Dylan took the baby and disappears. And it that never even occurred to me. The entire time that YNR was sort of laying that groundwork, talking about the, this child in Afghanistan that he was trying to save, that he was running with, it never occurred to me that he would take Connor and run when he found out the truth. So that was such a surprising twist. I loved YNR in that moment. That was perfect. It totally works given what had happened to Dylan and Ara, the little girl in Afghanistan. It's like all of a sudden he's making up for what actually happened, uh, that she died. And now he is in this, again, alternate uh, PTSD uh, reality where he is now trying to save the baby. It's Ara again. He's reliving it. And now he's trying to save the baby. It was great. I really liked it. Um, just on a side note, I have to ask, when uh, Steve Burton was on General Hospital, didn't he steal a baby there, too? It, it was kind of weird, like, he stole a baby, I think, on General Hospital, right? And now here he is running away with another child on YNR. I thought that was kind of worth noting. But he's gone. Nobody can find him. Uh, Chelsea goes to the police. The police are really no help. They don't know where he could be. And Adam doesn't even know that this has happened yet. But Adam is in mission mode as far as his paternal instinct. It's kicked in. He wants to help his son. Uh, and so he goes over to Chelsea's house and he waltzes in like he owns the place. I understand why Adam feels the way he does, but he's got this totally entitled attitude right now. He's do he's just become this dominant kind of Victor Newman male <laughs> where he's wanting to push people around and sort of bully to get what he wants. And again, I understand where he's coming from. He wants to protect his son. He's been screwed over royally, but he barges into Chelsea's house while she's mid panic, not knowing where her child and her husband are worried to death about what could be happening to them. And she has no choice but to just come forth with it and tell Adam that Connor is missing. And my first thought was, um, I mean, 
Adam has been all last week threatening Chelsea with taking away custody of the child. Well, does Dylan stealing the baby hurt her credibility with being a good mother? I mean, don't you think? Kind of, uh, if this does go to court, and I don't know if it will, but letting someone quote-unquote dangerous around the child certainly can't make her look good. And I don't think that, obviously Dylan's not doing it on purpose, but he is in full flashback mode. Um, He is having an episode. In this moment, it is Afghanistan, and Connor is Ara, and he has to protect Ara. In reality, he's putting Connor in danger. No one knows where they are. The child is a newborn, probably needs to be fed, wouldn't you think? Needs to be cared for. Um, Chelsea knows this. She's absolutely scared. Uh, now, you know, on top of everything, Adam knows about it. Anita ends up coming over, and Chelsea is talking to her and confiding some things. And one really interesting note was that Chelsea sort of figured out that Dylan must be having a flashback. And she revealed to Anita that sometimes at night it's terrifying lying in bed next to Dylan, that he has these really intense episodes. And I thought, well, that's a really dark idea. We've never seen that. Um, but I sort of, I, I like that a little bit. You know, Dylan and Chelsea lying in bed together and he is really um, suffering severely with this. Maybe he's having night terrors. You know, that's something that adds a nice dark element, uh, just a touch uh, to Dylan's character, and which um, I think is something that he needs. Now, Adam, as soon as he finds out that Connor's missing, he goes right to Avery. He knows that Avery is the closest place to d- closest person to Dylan. Uh, she's probably the one who would have the best idea of where he could be. And he reveals to Avery everything that's happened. So now she knows. She's able to put together the pieces in her mind. She's just ruined her relationship with Nick for Dylan. Um, so now it, she might as well make it worth it. She might as well go all the way and help him. And so she gets a hunch as to where he might be, and she leaves. Um, Adam leaves her apartment, too, but then he comes back, and he starts rifling through her things, which, gross, rude, what? I mean, okay, I know, I understand again, Adam's trying to save his son, but it was just like, ugh, going through her things. He rips open a box of Avery's and sees this picture of her and Dylan at the cabin. He takes the photo and runs directly to Chelsea, shows her the photo. He, like, busts up in Chelsea's house again. He's really aggressive, which I don't like. It's just there's something about that aggressiveness that is a real turnoff to me, but I understand he's fighting for his son. It's like a, you know, like a... male tiger like trying to protect the cubs or something or a bear I don't know what he is (laughs) I don't know what animal Adam is but I will figure it out uh, within the next week I promise (laughs) so he goes to Chelsea pushes his way in um and he, you know, Chelsea tips him off as to where that cabin might possibly be. But and again, he got really angry and even physical with Anita while he was there. He literally th- throws Anita out of the apartment when she tries to question him. I don't like him putting his hands on a woman. I, I it's this is a different kind of Adam. He's it's it's I don't know. It's a weird mix, but I didn't like it. Um, 
Anyway, everybody's right. Dylan was indeed at that cabin, and Avery is the first one to show up, and she sees him there, and he's got Connor in one arm, and he's holding this flashlight as if it were a gun in the other hand, and he's pointing it at her. Um, I mean, I can't help but think, what if he really did have a gun? This is a dangerous situation. We all have thought of Dylan as being this um, sensitive guy, but now if he had a gun, that situation would have been completely different. And as a former vet, why didn't? Why doesn't he have a gun? I mean, it's you know, I would have, I would have imagined he would have been a firearm owner. So it's almost like, hmm, good thing that that didn't go any further. Avery is almost trying to talk him into handing over the baby and trying to um, calm down the situation when Adam again forces his way in. Very, very Victor-esque. Chelsea follows, so now it's everybody at the cabin witnessing this scene. The situation is so totally volatile. Avery insists that Adam just back off so that she can defuse it. Um, I'm almost surprised that Adam backed down with as aggressive as he's been lately, but Dylan is just crouched over the baby for dear life. Only Avery is going to be able to talk him down from this. And it was, I think, looking into Avery's face, into her eyes, that brought him slowly back into the reality of the situation. He snaps out of it slowly, and he sees Chelsea and Adam standing there just beyond Avery in the distance. And the baby is in his arms, and it's not crying. It's just silent. And there's this moment where I really wondered if the baby could be dead. Did you guys feel that way? I was really nervous that he could have killed the baby. That would have you know, taken another really dark turn, but I don't put it past YNR lately. They're very dark right now. So I was terrified for Connor. Chelsea was terrified for Connor, of course. And as soon as the situation, you know, Dylan sort of realizes what the situation is. Adam just looks at him and says, if he's hurt, you're a dead man. I mean, clearly Adam's got the rage. He wants his son. In fact, as soon as Dylan looks down at Connor, hears the baby crying, everything, you know, there's this realization that, oh, you know, the baby is still alive. This isn't Ara, um, and this isn't my son, and... I understand fully what the situation is now. Adam bends down and says to Dylan, hand me my son. I mean, I understand why Adam would feel that way, of course. But I felt so bad for Dylan. I don't know. I don't know. I just did. I just really felt bad for him. Um, Avery is standing there with him, kind of holding him and caressing him. I mean, at least he has... Avery, um, Adam's got the baby. Chelsea has no one. She's completely at Adam's mercy now. And they, you know, go away with the baby, go back to Genoa City. And Adam tells her, you know, he wants to take the child now, not later. You have officially put my child into danger. In addition to everything else that you've done, I'm taking him now. Go pack a bag for him. And Chelsea is not about to let that happen. I don't know what's going to happen with this. I saw a preview. Um, for Monday's show that uh, showed Adam telling Chelsea that, okay, you can keep the baby on one condition. And I don't know what that condition's going to be. I don't know if it could possibly be 
I'll let the baby stay with you if you keep Dylan away from him. I don't know if Adam's going to insist on pressing charges against Dylan because I would assume that some it would be possible to charge Dylan with kidnapping. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, or I wonder if it's going to take a different turn. I wonder if Adam's going to say, I'll let the baby stay with you if I can stay with you too. Victor wasn't just being dramatic last week when he said there's a storm rolling in. There really was a storm rolling in. Victor and Jack are going at it like it's 1995. I kind of love it. (laughs) Uh, Victor has lured Jack to Adam's condo to confront him about being the secret investor uh, in Newman Enterprises. And You know, from Victor's perspective, he feels betrayed by Adam, and I don't see why he would have expected anything less from Jack. I don't know why he, in a way, couldn't have suspected that Jack was the culprit in the first place, but Jack is trying very hard to defend himself. Jack is insisting that he lent Adam the money so that Adam could have a relationship with Victor, so that Adam could make Victor proud the way he's always wanted to. And I'm sorry, I don't blame Victor for not taking Jack's Good Samaritan line. Come on, you guys. This feud didn't just start yesterday. (laughs) If Jack is really honest with himself, there was definitely a subtext there. There's no way that it was all pure. I just, I, I cannot sit here and watch this and pretend that Jack is a saint, and that he wanted to, out of the goodness of his heart, help Adam and Victor with their relationship. It cost him billions of dollars to do so. I feel like, I, I as much as I like Jack, I don't trust him when it comes to Victor and business, and I don't really think Adam should either. I think that Jack could just as easily turn around and stab Adam in the back, or vice versa. Adam could stab Jack in the back. There are really no true friendships when it comes to the main businesses in this town. Um, Adam ends up walking in on this argument between Victor and Jack, and Uh, realizes what's going on pretty quickly, especially (laughs) Jack looks over and gives Adam this look like, yikes, (laughs) like Victor's really pissed. (laughs) You have to go back and watch that scene if you can, because there's just this look that Jack gives to Adam when he walks in, like, (laughs) I'm going to leave you to deal with this one, Junior. (laughs) Of course, Jack leaves. Victor and Adam are alone in the condo together, and they begin to argue. We all know what both of their sides of the story is. You know, I mean, Victor says he uh, he feels betrayed by Adam for keeping the secret. Adam says he is the one that helped him. You know, does it matter where the money came from? We got the company back. I, you know... I am not really buying Adam's line either, to be honest with you. For months and months, 
we saw Adam making sneaky phone calls to this investor, and it pretty much happened any time after he and Victor had an argument. I mean, think back a month, two months ago, before we knew who the investor was, Adam was making all of those sneaky phone calls. And now, all of a sudden, I'm supposed to believe that he was working with Jack out of the goodness of his heart, of their hearts? Let's just be honest here. I'm going to let's have a piece of reality here. YNR definitely intended this to go another way. I'm completely convinced that this storyline was headed in a different direction and then it was switched at the last minute. I think I feel strongly that Adam was working against Victor. I don't think it's I don't know I don't know why it took this turn cuz it probably would have been more interesting otherwise, but I absolutely believe that Adam was working against Victor and now all of a sudden it's oh yeah but we were trying to help you dad and I just I don't get it I don't I don't believe it frankly (laughs) um the whole thing erupted into this volcanic argument between Victor and Adam there was Big time yelling. It was almost like a contest to see who could outshout the other. And of course it was going to be Victor. He was practically shouting at the top of his lungs. And they're, you know, they both have different perspectives. They're, you know, who betrayed who? Uh, you know, at the end of the day, they're both responsible for the state that their relationship is in. Um, Adam is particularly upset because he now has this added layer of coming to terms with his own fatherhood. And Adam tells Victor in the heat of the moment, you know, I'll be a better father than you ever were. By taking uh, my baby's mother away from him, I guess. Um, <laughs> by being uh, the aggressive tiger. Maybe you guys should tell me what what animal Adam is. He's like maybe he's like a panther or something, like a like is or a cheetah, <laughs> some sort of jungle cat is what I'm feeling. <laughs> You tell me. But anyway, Adam blamed uh, even everything on Victor. He blamed uh, the failure of his marriage on Victor and even really the the whole situation that he's in now with Chelsea and the baby. He blamed it all on Victor. And while I think that they both have valid points of argument against each other, it's just two very different perspectives. And I have a Victor bias. I will admit it. Um, I think I I always have had a, a Victor bias, but the stage is now set for a full-scale war, Adam and Jack versus Victor. Adam and Jack have controlling interest of Newman Enterprises, and Victor still has an ace up his sleeve. I don't know exactly what it is, but there was a brief scene at the ranch where Victor is telling a colleague, um, or I don't know if it was um, a vendor, or I don't know who exactly he was talking to, but he was saying, essentially, uh, that Newman Enterprises is in for a fall, so make sure you get everything paid now. If you get your money now, because this company is going down. I I think is how I interpreted it. Um, I uh, completely assume that both Victor and Jack and Adam would rather lose every single thing that they have uh, than let the other win. <laughs> I think winning is the number one most important thing, especially to Jack and Victor. Jack feels like this whole feud fire has been reignited and it's blazing as hot as ever. Um, And he's talking to Kyle 
after this um, confrontation with Victor and Adam, he goes home and he's really ticked off about it. He's talking to Kyle and um, going on and on about Victor. And um, he ended up talking about, um, you know, it's not just what's going on with the company. It's the added element of summer. Uh, they've got, they've got professional and personal things to fight over. And summer ends up overhearing the fact that Jack had funded, uh, the Newman Enterprises takeover. And so she's upset. She feels like it puts her in the middle. And Kyle was there for all of this. And he ended up, you know, summer runs off and Kyle tells Jack, you know, you're no better than Victor is. You're both, you're putting her in the middle unnecessarily. Summer wants the father that doesn't put her in the middle of this Newman Enterprises mess. She wants her real father, Nick. She goes to Nick and she actually wanted to check in on him uh, after what had happened with Avery, which was really sweet. I think that Nick and Summer do need to be reunited, and I want that to happen. Um, Summer goes on to um, kind of just uh, help Nick and talk him through what he's going through and asks him if he wants to go out for dinner. In fact, forces him to go out to dinner at the athletic club, uh, which, by the way, is where Victor and Jack are now having another argument. Victor's there having dinner. Jack sits down and uh, he approaches Victor with a deal. He says, okay, you know, I am going to offer you to buy me out of my shares. Go go ahead. I'll let you pick the investor if you cut Adam some slack. So now it's this. It's you can have Newman, but I want you to cut Adam some slack. Further kind of solidifying his position of I only did this to help Adam. Well, since when is Jack... Adam's fairy godfather. I just, I don't buy it at all, and neither did Victor. Victor looked at him and said, I don't, no. What is it that you're really after? And <laughs> suddenly, Jack reveals his true motives. It's, it's, it's suddenly a trade, you know? I'll walk away from Newman Enterprises if you walk away from Summer. Oh, well, now all of a sudden, Jack's motives are not quite as pure. He's, he is using the business for a personal gain. Adam, Jack tells Victor, why don't you focus on Adam's son instead of my daughter? Which, I mean, from Victor, again, I know I'm defending Victor, but why would he walk away from someone who he's raised as his granddaughter? Uh, He's known Summer her entire life and thought of her as his granddaughter. And now he's supposed to just walk away because of Newman Enterprises. And I don't think Victor would have taken that deal, do you? I am curious to know um, if Victor would have taken that deal. But Summer ends up showing up. She completely overhears what Jack has just proposed. She is now realizing she is a bargaining chip. And Jack looks awful. (laughs) I wouldn't be at all surprised if Victor saw Summer walking through the door and just let her walk, like led Jack toward the the real uh, motive and allowed Summer to hear it. Uh, He probably just gave Jack enough rope to hang himself. Um, Summer ends up running off. She's, she initially tried to give Jack away, you know, a a chance to explain himself and Jack couldn't really do it. So Summer runs away. She goes off into a corner and by the way, gets a phone call from Oliver 
from Bold and the Beautiful, and he offers her a chance to go and do a modeling gig, so I don't know if she's gonna run off to LA, maybe do a crossover, I'm not sure, but um, she is certainly very despondent. Nick comes in, he has, you know, he had was meeting Summer for dinner, so he was there for the whole thing. Um, he definitely slapped both Victor and Jack's wrist. He's so angry that no one is really trying to put Summer's needs first, and that's all he wants to do. All he wants to do is be the father, the correct type of father to, to her. So he goes home, and he gets real smashy-smashy with a couple of picture frames and things on a desk. He throws some stuff off of a desk, and Sharon happens to walk in at exactly that moment and offer to comfort him in just the right way. But... Back at the athletic club, Victor and Jack are there to deal with the aftermath, and Victor decides to issue a a statement to Jack that he has some news about the company. Meet me at 9 a.m. tomorrow, and I'll, you and Adam, meet me at 9 a.m. tomorrow, and I'll reveal to you what this big news is. Hmm, interesting. And then Victor ends up calling Noah on the phone. So I wonder, again, it's, he's using Noah as a bargaining chip in exactly the same way that uh, Jack is using Summer. So Victor really is no better than Jack at the end of the day. It is true, Kyle, um, as Kyle said. So I don't know what Victor has planned. Um, I keep thinking he's going to step away from the company, name a new CEO, or um, gosh, I don't know, tank the whole place. Uh, it sounds like maybe he's wants to file bankruptcy or I don't know what he's going to do, but I think it's very, very interesting that he called Noah um, because I can't help thinking back to that conversation that Noah and Devon had. All of a sudden, you know, Devon's got a windfall and, you know, so these are young people that might suddenly find themselves with a whole lot of power. And when you think about it, I'm wondering if what YNR is doing is setting up kind of the, the the rivalries of the future. I'm wondering if um, Noah is going to somehow get in a position of power at Newman. Maybe Devon will find a position of power at either Jabot or Chancellor. And uh, and maybe Kyle will find himself in a position of power. We, uh, we also have this um, casting update that YNR is casting the role of Andrew. Abbott is supposed to be a 30-something long-lost possibly cousin of the Abbots. So it feels like YNR might be setting up the next generation of feuds like Noah versus Devon versus Kyle and maybe this new Andrew Abbott. Nikki is super paranoid about the secret that she is keeping about this child that she had many, many years ago, her firstborn. Uh, Victor comes in after his fight with Adam, and he's talking about, uh, I ju- you know, he's, he's just learned that Adam now has a son, and Victor comes into the ranch talking about the new member of the family, and Nikki gets very paranoid, and she thinks that Victor found out somehow about this child. I don't know why she won't just tell him. It's the classic problem between Nikki and Victor. They don't communicate 
Paul calls her and uh, tells her that he has some more information. Uh, the phone number that Catherine was able to track down was to a lawyer's office in Winnetka, which happened to be the same place where she gave birth. So Paul is being very helpful on this front. In fact, I've been very touched with how supportive Paul has been of Nikki. That should really be Victor's role. Um... Doesn't Paul have a wife? <laughs> Just on a side note, will we ever see Chris again? <laughs> Was that whole marriage thing just sort of a plot device? Or is Lorelei Bell going to be coming back and maybe we'll actually see her with Paul? How can Paul be married to Christine when we never see her? I don't think that's a little bit of a bummer. I wonder if Nikki and Paul are going to find themselves getting very, very close again. Oh my gosh, YNR showed this amazing flashback this week of when Nikki and Paul were young. <laughs> they were so young, so fresh. It was amazing. I loved it so much. Thank you, YNR gods, for that flashback scene. Nikki is sitting there feeling totally, a young Nikki is sitting there feeling totally despondent and Paul is being there to comfort her. Pretty much exactly what's happening now. <laughs> oh, it, it was good. It was good. Well, Paul ended up finding out that that lawyer in Winnetka was dead. And so there's pretty much no help there. So Paul and Nikki decide to go on a hunt to try to find the church where she gave birth. And they've gone to many, many churches in Winnetka. Nikki hasn't told Victor where she's going. She's lied and said she's off on some kind of charity work. But they're really going around a church after church to see if they can put together any kind of clues about what would have maybe happened to the baby. And they come upon... Our Lady of Hope. <laughs> and they're in the office of a young priest, the, 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 whoever's the, the priest of the church. I kept thinking that maybe that priest was her son. He seemed like he might be just about the right age. Uh, were you guys thinking that too? I wonder if Lionard did that on purpose, just to toy with us. Because <laughs> we're all wondering, who's the baby now? Um... The priest says, you know, they have records at the church of any births that would have taken place there. He goes downstairs to look at the records, but oh no, <laughs> conveniently, <laughs> Nikki's records were destroyed in a flood. The, the, well, most of the records are just fine, but there was two records that were destroyed in a flood, Nikki's and someone else's, great. So again, no help there. But Nikki notices a picture on the wall, and she begins to have memories. And she realizes that this is the place that she gave birth. And she had a memory of the nun that was with her and, and, and delivered her baby. And she mentions this to the priest, and he says, oh, well, that nun is still here. I'll go get her. So he brings up Sister Claire, who is a sweet, sweet lady, um, and she seems very helpful, like she, like she's going to have all the answers. I thought she was going to really be able to shed some light, but damn, 
she has dementia. She has trouble piecing together reality. Nikki and Paul both question her about what she remembers about the night. Uh, uh, Sister Claire seems to recognize Nikki right away. I mean, as soon as they came face to face, Sister Claire said, I've been waiting for you. Uh, But then she seems to not really have definitive information because as she becomes... As she gets questioned by Nikki and Paul, first she says she remembers that Nikki delivered twins, and then she thinks it was triplets, and then she settled on, oh no, it was a son. She remembers that Nikki had a son. So I I don't know how much we can trust the information that's coming from her. Uh, Nikki seems to have a very strong feeling. As soon as the nun says she had a son, Nikki feels that that's correct. The nun said a prayer right when the baby was born, and Nikki remembered that prayer, and there was this moment where they both said the prayer. So Nikki feels very strongly that she does have a son Uh, and Sister Claire also remembered that she gave this son to a member of the congregation at the time but that was pretty much where the information ended Uh, she sort of trails off doesn't really seem to know who it was she gave the baby to just someone with kind eyes so she gave the baby just to someone who she had a good feeling about but didn't really know who they were um and then she's ready for her nap (laughs) she goes away really sweet looking lady Uh, she got us to the next step uh, of this mystery but uh, it definitely left Nikki feeling closer yet very very far from the truth Uh, I'm not sure if YNR is toying with us the fact that the uh, nun has dementia doesn't really bode well. I think that we're all kind of expecting that this is going to lead to the discovery that Dylan is Nikki's son, but I wonder if that's kind of one of those things like Summer's Paternity, where we're going to think it for a little while and it's going to end up not to be true. I just don't know that we can trust the word of a nun with dementia. Well, Billy and Victoria fans, I didn't want to miss mentioning the cute little scenes between Billy and Victoria this week. After Nick and Avery's wedding, both Victoria and Billy were feel or actually non-wedding again, I've almost said it, but both <laughs> Victoria and Billy were feeling in a lovey, weddingy mood. So they come home from the event and Billy carries Victoria through the door, carries her over the threshold, and he's got some things set up. He's got some champagne and even a little wedding cake, and he's really used this as an opportunity to renew his vows to his wife and it was a sweet little moment I I honestly I thought well you know at least somebody's happy if it can't be Avery and Nick or really anybody there's not a whole lot of happy couples on the show so I'll take it I decided I'll take it so they sit down and they're getting ready to cut into the cake and just have a little romantic moment when Delia comes over Chloe needs Billy to watch Delia and she changes the vibe quite a bit it could have been a more like a wet blanket on their romantic occasion but I liked that they sort of worked it in and said 
You know, this is, let's make it a family thing. Let's let the family, you know, our family, our children share and celebrate our love. So they let Delia, you know, have some of the cake and they were playing with her and she was rehearsing for the school play where she's going to be the Wicked Witch of the West. And she was rehearsing her scene where she's melting into the ground. I love that movie, by the way. Um, And Billy and Victoria were helping her to rehearse. (laughs) Victoria pretending she's Dorothy, of course, and Billy's pretending he's Toto. (laughs) I laughed really hard at Billy in that scene. He's on the ground panting like a dog. I really think that Billy Miller missed his calling. He would have been really perfect for comedy. He's just a funny guy. Um, I really, I did enjoy that. And then after Delia goes to bed, Victoria decides to give them a little honeymoon, bring that full circle, and she slips into something blue and sexy, and she's, you know, kind of seducing Billy, and it was cute. The one thing that stuck out to me, though, was Victoria. A lot of the times when she's happy and kind of being flirty, she seems drunk to me. am kind of enjoying Alex and Kevin's little friendship, their little bromance. It's kind of cute. They were both at the police station this week, and Alex noticed that Kevin had that skeleton key on his key ring, and Alex questions him about it, gives him a little bit of a hard time, saying, you know, why would a guy like you have a skeleton key? I should be nervous about that. But Kevin opens up and tells Alex it was the gift from Mrs. Chancellor. And Kevin reveals that he believes Catherine gave him that gift because he was locked in a closet as a child and that this key was kind of a symbol to him not having to be that person anymore, that he has the key to unlocking that. And I never made that connection when, um, I don't know, did you, when he got the key last week at the reading of the will, I, I felt a little bit mystified by what that could possibly mean. And I thought, well, that, you know, that was nice. That was meaningful. Now, Chloe and Chelsea ended up showing up at the police department to ask for help when they were in the search of finding Dylan uh, and Connor. And when Chelsea leaves, there is just a, a brief scene alone between Chloe and Kevin, and Chloe's saying how guilty she feels. She realizes that she's the one that pushed Chelsea into this big lie that ended up resulting in Dylan kidnapping Chelsea's child. So Chloe felt responsible for the terror that Chelsea was feeling in that moment, and she should. And I was actually really, really happy to see Kevin call her out. Kevin didn't know that Chloe was doing that. And so as soon as she told him, he didn't let her off the hook. You know, he said, you, sh- you shouldn't have done that. And Chloe felt, she acted like all offended by the fact that Kevin would tell her that she did something wrong. Chloe is all about telling Kevin that he's done this and that wrong, which he has, but then she can't take it when he does it to her in return. So I felt like it was about time somebody called Chloe out for the part that she played in Chelsea's mess, and I kind of wish that it would go a little bit further. I think Chloe does need to pay a little bit. Like, 
Uh, she's been terrible. If they were giving out trophies for, like, the worst friend ever, Chloe would get the award. I had to laugh because I got a voicemail from Patricia this past week that said, I think Esther needs to take her $20,000 and go get some new clothes. <laughs> it really made me chuckle. It hit me in the right funny spot. It's so true. Every time Esther's on screen, it's hard to get past that French-made uniform. There are some things about YNR that I just love to stay classic, but Esther's French-made uniform is not one of them. <laughs> It's never going away. We need to just accept that. Although, I would almost like to see Esther take her money and become kind of a powerful businesswoman or something, you know? I mean, something different for Esther. She doesn't have to be stuck in a box for the next 20 years or whatever, but anyway... <laughs> I thought that was funny. Now, Jill is still kicking around the mansion, very upset about what she did not inherit from Catherine. And she calls Michael and Lauren over and she asks Michael to help her contest Catherine's will, which, you know, in reality probably shouldn't be that hard considering the fact that Catherine just had brain surgery <laughs> when she changed the will, but uh, no, it's not going to happen. Michael said, from all indications, she was perfectly lucid when she made those changes, so good luck with that. Michael decides instead he'd rather help her get to the bottom of what Catherine was trying to say to her, and... Michael takes a look at the box, uh, takes a look at the photo of Catherine on the mantle, and he thinks that the necklace that Catherine was wearing is what should have been in the box. But I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know how uh, any of this adds up to all that Catherine valued. That's what Catherine wanted Jill to have, all that she valued, which I think would be family and love. But I messed up last week and I forgot to mention like the most important part of Catherine's will reading, which is that the owner of Chancellor Industries is to be kept a secret is to be revealed at a later time. So it certainly could be that Devon inherited the company. It could be Tucker. Um, it could still be Nikki, which I think would be interesting. But there's also a part of me that wonders if somehow Jill's going to be the inheritor of Chancellor Industries. Like, she has to unlock something in order to learn that she's the inheritor. I just am having a hard time believing that Catherine would leave Jill empty-handed because at the end of the day, I want to believe that Catherine loved and respected Jill as a, as a lovable foe, as a frenemy. And so, I don't know. I don't want to think that all she left her was some weird mystery. Um, I don't know. Do you? Maybe it's just me. But I kind of would like to see Jill come out of this with at least something. Michael ends up taking a look at the music box and in addition to the date which was Catherine's 12th birthday that was printed on the bottom of the music box there's also a stamp uh, that says it was made in I don't know if it was made in Switzerland but uh, the box seemed to have come from Switzerland and um, that marking is on the bottom of it so 
some part of the clue is in Switzerland. <laughs> A long time ago. Do you guys have any guesses as to what this might be? I, I'm I'm wondering if this is just a long goose chase. Is is this just YNR's way of writing Jill out for a while? Because she's going to go to Switzerland to see if she can get the answer to the question. I mean, I don't know what on earth she's just going to find in a country. Just going to walk around and show people the box? I'm not sure. Um... I'm hoping that it's going to lead to something larger and fantastic, and it's not just kind of a way to give Jess Walton a break. Um, I want to, she's she's gone, you know, leaving. The character's going off to Switzerland. I just hope she's coming back soon. Kane and Lily are trying to keep up this ruse that they're on the outs. So Kane has taken up this hotel room at the athletic club, making it seem like he's staying there, separated from Lily. But really, Lily's there enjoying the spoils. They're having naughty hotel room sex. Lily even said, like, it feels like I'm having an affair with my husband, but it's all of the thrill and none of the guilt. <laughs> Which was kind of telling. Maybe you shouldn't have said that, considering you really considered strongly having an affair with Tyler. So they're kind of unknowing there. They think that they're they're playing, really. They're playing games when the situation with Hillary is far more dangerous than I think either of them even imagined. It's one thing to you know, post some photos, some gossip photos, but what happened this week is quite another. Uh, Mason shows up and gives Hillary a baggie of drugs, a white powdery drug, which I guess is like Rohypnol? Something. I mean, that's severe. The, Hillary's willing to go pretty far for what she wants. The, the whole dr this drug element brings Hillary's villainous to a whole nother level. And also, by the way, she's just using... Mason mercilessly he's I think he's gonna end up selling her out eventually she's got him on a string and every indication shows that he doesn't like it and what is in it for him frankly sex just sex like why is Mason so desperate for sex that he has to jump every single time she says to that he has to go get her illegal drugs just to have sex with her he's a model he can't get another woman <laughs> I don't get Mason. But Hillary's also telling him to get close to Devon. You know, that's his new mission. He needs to find out how much money Devon has just inherited and what he's planning to do with it. And by the way, just on a side note, I had received a voicemail from Michael last week uh, that made some really good points about Devon. And I wanted to be sure to mention it because I screwed up royally talking about Catherine's uh, Will, last week, I'm so mad at myself for that. But the thing is, and Michael's point was, Devon has just inherited $2 billion from Catherine. This is the bulk of her estate. He is the heir to the character on YNR, to one of the greatest legacies in Gen Genoa City and on YNR. She's the matriarch of the whole show. And I like that YNR made Devon rich as a result of this, but they better not just make him rich and then drop him off 
the face of the planet. Because Devon is a character that's been in and out. Sometimes he's focused on, sometimes he's not. But I can't think of very many real storylines that Devon has had. So why in our... If they're going to make him this rich and make him the, in, the inheritor of Catherine's legacy, they are going to have to focus on him properly and start building him up and making him the, the, the strong lead that he's going to need to be. So Devon ends up telling Neil this week the result of the will. I, I, I'm surprised Neil wasn't a little more interested. Apparently he thought maybe Devon was going to get a little kickback. Wasn't really expecting what he actually got uh, because Devon told Neil how much money he inherited and it practically blew Neil's mind. <laughs> Neil, I think, was ready to help Devon spend it right away. <laughs> But uh, Devon mentioned that he doesn't really know what he's going to do. He feels like he has some charity programs in mind. He would like to donate to hearing research and maybe get going some music programs for the underprivileged, which I think is a good idea, and I would actually like to see him follow through with that. Again, this is Catherine Chancellor's legacy. I would like to actually see Devon going through and doing some uh, philanthropic, uh, I don't know, efforts. I'd like to see him doing some charitable work, but I'd also like to see him getting in deep on some crazy business money, high-powered drama. I think it would be really cool. Um, Neil does end up warning Devon, though, about new friends. You know, don't think that just all of a sudden you've got a lot of money. It's been in the papers. All of a sudden people are going to want to be your friends and you need to be wary of them, which came in very handy because as soon as Neil left, uh, Mason comes in. They're in the steam room. I forgot to mention that. Uh, but Mason <laughs> comes in and he starts trying to be buddy-buddy with Devon. And Devon, which kind of idiotically, mentions to Mason that he just inherited. Uh, and Mason's like, oh, yeah would you get six figures? And Devon's like, no, try nine figures. Mason was really hilarious. He just looks at Devon and goes, damn. <laughs> that was really funny. I want that on a soundbite or something so I can play that on an audio loop constantly. Just anytime something crazy happens on YNR and I want to play Mason going, damn. <laughs> It was funny, but I, I, Mason's, he's already almost found out. Lily ends up confronting Hillary at the coffee house, trying again to keep up this ruse that she and Kane are having problems, and, um, she plays the jealous wife role, essentially, and tells uh, Hillary to stay away from Kane, uh, which she knows will send Hillary directly to Kane, who is waiting for her. By the way, Lily ends up telling Neil about uh, her theory on Hillary, that Hillary is actually Rose's daughter. And there was this funny moment where... <laughs> Neil is like, but how can she be Rose's daughter? She's white. And then, <laughs> or, or how could she, be? yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, because Rose is white and Hillary's not. And there was just this funny moment where, like, both Neil and Lily have this realization that Rose liked black men, obviously. 
<laughs> like, we don't know who Hillary's father is, but obviously she liked black men. She was also hitting, Rose was also hitting on Neil. So it was, that was kind of a funny moment. But anyway, Lily and Kane have a plan. They want to lull Hillary into thinking that her plan is working so that they can find out her motive. And Kane is the bait. So he's on a little hook <laughs> being dangled above Hillary. Uh, he's in his hotel room, shirtless, alone, waiting for Hillary, knowing she's going to show up. And there's this moment where he almost just looks like he hates it, like he's being forced into it, like he's ashamed of himself for doing it. But Hillary shows up and Kane starts laying it on thick, saying Lily was, you know, Lily was right. I do have feelings for you. I can't help myself. And Hillary's totally on to him. Uh, what Kane didn't anticipate, though, was the fact that she was going to drug his drink. She takes that little baggie of drugs, slips it into his champagne glass when he's not looking, and Kane takes a sip of it, and then kind of the next thing you know, Kane is starting to pass out. He gets his, he gets woozy, he's laying in bed, and then Hillary's very happy about it. She whips open the windows, hops into bed with him. I'm surprised she didn't actually have sex with him, but she ends up, like, showing herself in a bedroom scene with Kane to the window where Mason is, of course, outside, taking another freaking picture. Then Mason shows back up into the room, and they're talking freely about their whole plan. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Mason's, like, got the pictures up on the GC Buzz or wherever immediately. So Lily sees this pic these pictures of of Kane and Hillary in bed together. She's furious. She ends up showing up back at Kane's hotel room after Hillary and Mason have all conspired and left. And Lily walks right up to Kane and she just smacks him right in the face. What part of our plan included you sleeping with Hillary? Lily really thought that Kane banged her. And he didn't. But I was really kind of happy to see her smack him. I don't know why. I enjoyed that. I just felt like Kane needed a good smack. I don't know what for. Just because. <laughs> so that felt good. He didn't do anything. I just, you know, felt good. <laughs> I'm sure he'll do something in the future that will, uh, it's like it's prepay for whatever he does in the future that will deserve a good smack. But Kane, oh, he is not stupid. We as viewers have been tricked. Kane pulled a fast one. He tells Lily, no, 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 I did not sleep with Hillary. And as a matter of fact, I've got this all figured out. I one-upped her. When she put the drugs into my glass, I went into the bathroom, spit out the drink when I realized it was drugged, and I, I pretended that I was drugged, I laid down on the bed, I turned on my phone and hit record, and the entire time... Everything was recorded. So he caught Hillary on tape. He caught Mason coming over and then conspiring together. So at this point, Kane 
knows everything. He plays back the recording to Lily. She feels totally, like, sorry that she ever doubted him and happy that they finally caught on to Hillary and Mason. They know everything. Um, so, yay, Kane saved the day. He, I mean, we should be very happy for him. Kane, no, he's no dummy. He knows when he's being drugged. Fool me twice, shame on me. Remember when Amber drugged him and married him and Chloe drugged him and made him think that he was the father of her baby? Ugh, my podcast peeps. Good stuff. It's been good stuff all week. I hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as I did and that you feel comfortable calling in and leave me a comment. My voice number is area code 309-588-4569. Or if that doesn't work for you, you can always send me an email to Allie, that's A-L-I, at yrchat.com. Or you can just go to yrchat.com and you can leave a comment there and check out everything else that's on the site. Um, I always love hearing from you, so please don't be shy. And I think that's it. My gosh, really good week. I'll definitely be back next time and we'll chat again. Everybody take care. I love you. Bye.